Amen. Let's give God some praise this morning. He is a good and gracious God that is wonderful and amazing. And and uh, we thank you today for being here to worship him. And uh, hey, listen, so as we are celebrating Mother's Day today, we are also taking a look at going through the book of Joshua. We have been teaching through the book of Joshua over the last several weeks. And the name of our series is Keep Moving because Joshua is leading the Israelites into the promised land, out of the wilderness, into the promised land to take over the promised land and to eventually establish that as the nation of Israel. And it's a time of transition. And what we're learning is that we are all in a time of transition. Some of us may be uh, leaving uh, the workforce into retirement. We may be transitioning from maybe married to single or single to married. We might be looking at various transitions. Our church is in a transition as we are in route over there, you know, getting there soon and maybe into the summer type soon, which is kind of cool. So we're getting in route over there and that sort of thing. But we know that transitions can be tough. They can be challenging because the old is gone and the new is not yet. Transitions are somewhere in the middle. You're kind of stuck in the middle. It's not what it used to be, and it's not what it will be. It's kind of somewhere in the middle. And what we're learning from the book of Joshua is that God is with us during that. And we have our memory verse. Let's throw our memory verse up on the screen. Um, I have a confession today. The 9 o'clock service heard that y'all were really good at the memory verse. They heard. And guess what? They rocked it this morning, guys. The nine rocked it. So you guys are going to have to step it up, all right? You think you can do it? Nine is looking really good, apparently, all right? So let's, let's try it this morning. Let's do the address first, the verse, and the address. Eleven, are you ready? Oh, my goodness. Here, here we go. Joshua 1, 9. Haven't I commanded you, be strong, do Joshua 1, 9. Good job, church. Father, we thank you for the word. May it lead us and guide us. We thank you for all that you do. Teach us today, Lord, about your faithfulness. We pray in your name. Amen. Take your Bibles open to Joshua chapter 10. That's where we'll be at. You know, thinking of mothers today, um, one thing that I could tell you about my wife, seeing her interact with our children, is that she is a very consistent mother and persistent mother, and that is not always easy with the Rager children, I can tell you that. It just seems like as soon as you get the house clean, they, the little hurricanes come through and tear it up. And it's no matter what you do, they do that. And, uh, you know, you, could, you you feed a kid, and then for some reason they think you have to feed them again in a few hours, you know. I mean, it's just like there's this never-ending stuff you have to do to kids. And, like, once you get them, like, squared away, you got to square them away again and again and again. And, guys, listen, let me talk to you all for a second. I love you men so much, but our wives do much, much better at this than we do. Amen, ladies. Amen. Yeah, our guys are, are doing it. We, they do much, much better at this than we do. It's not, now listen, that's not an excuse for us to get involved. Amen, ladies. Really? Man, I, maybe not. I don't know. You know, maybe not. But, but no, our, our men need to be active and involved in the house. But our ladies are awesome. They, they just are. They, they are able to jump in there, you know, um, excuse the crudeness, if you will, but 
you know, they have to be fed and they get hungry again. And let's just be honest, you put a clean diaper on them and, boy, they blow it out again, don't they? And, and you got to put another one on. And regardless of the type of messes that our kids make, many of us have had mothers that were faithful to clean it up again and again and again. And what we've learned is that um, even sometimes when the kids aren't as respectful as they need to be, the mothers are still there to hang out and to help. And many of you all had mothers that were like that. But I think about transition and how in times of transition we are, we are so prone to sin. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We're also prone to deception. We're prone to make mistakes. We're prone to kind of fall down and not do the right thing. When, when things are changing, it makes us open, uh, it makes us susceptible to things that aren't always good. That happens a lot in transition. And unfortunately, as human beings, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we are people that make mistakes. Right, church? We're people that make mistakes. But one thing that I know, mothers are faithful in their persistence and care of children. But let me tell you something else. There is a father in heaven that is excellent at it. And he is excellent at being faithful. Even when we are not faithful, our God is faithful. And he keeps being faithful. Now you just think about the Israelites. Now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know this is actually the second generation. The first generation died in the wilderness under Moses. And then now Joshua is leading the grown children into the promised land. They cross the Jordan River. They rededicate their lives to the Lord. They, they go up against the mighty Jericho, and God miraculously knocks down the walls of Jericho. They then make a mistake. They're, not, they're told not to take anything from Jericho. One of the guys sins against God, he takes something from Jericho, brings a curse on them. That's mistake number one. Then, if you were here last week, you learned that there was a group of people in the promised land named the Gibeonites, and the Gibeonites were instructed to be destroyed by the Israelites, just like everybody else was. The Israelites were not to go into covenant or treaty with anybody in the promised land. They were to be um, exterminated. All of them were, but yet the Gibeonites kind of put this show on, they made like a deception, they walk in, they fool the Israelites, and, and there's mistake number two that the new generation is making. Now they are, now they've been duped, they've been tricked, and now they have found themselves having to protect the enemy. So when we start in Joshua chapter 10, and as we read that, keep in mind the context that the Gibeonites um, were never supposed to be protected, ever. But because of Israel's disobedience to God, they're going to now have to be protected. And what we learned today is that even though the Israelites kept on messing up time after time after time after time, and let me tell you something, when you get past the book of Joshua, it doesn't get any better. It just keeps going downhill. But one thing that we know when reading the book of Joshua and the whole Old Testament and the New Testament for that matter is that when we are faithless, God is still faithful. Now, this won't be on your screen, but I want you to write this verse down, and I'm going to read it, and then we'll jump into the text. 2 Timothy 2.13. I love this verse. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. When we're faithless, God's faithful. 
Here's the big idea for today. Here's the big idea of what I want you to take home. God remains faithful. No matter what kind of mistake you made, what kind of blunder you made, it does not take away from the fact that God keeps staying faithful. Let's look at Joshua chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15 in its entirety this morning. So so, um, we're going to focus on a few verses, but we're going to read it in its entirety. Joshua chapter 10, 1 through 15. Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua captured Ai and completely destroyed it. Remember, Jerusalem is not under control by the Israelites at this time. It's under control by the pagan kings, okay? One day Israel will get Jerusalem, but not yet. So they had heard that Joshua had captured the city of Ai and completely destroyed it, treating Ai and his king as he had Jericho and its king, and that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were living among them. So Adonai Zedek, this king of Jerusalem, and his people were greatly alarmed because Gibeon was a large city like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai. And all its men were warriors, and and these people now were friends of Israel. So this made the other kings in the neighborhood a little nervous. Therefore, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent word to Holham, king of Hebron, Piram, king of Jarmuth, Japheth, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon. And if anybody in here studies Hebrew, please don't make fun of me, all right? Saying, come up and help me. We will attack Gibeon because they have made peace with Joshua and the Israelites. So do you see what these kings are going to do? They're going to form a a coalition, they're going to form a a group, and then they're all going to run down and strike down Gibeon for making peace with Israel and, and take them out. So the five Amorite kings, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmoth, Lachish, and Eglon, all places that would have had to been destroyed by Israel eventually, joined forces, advanced with all their armies, besieged Gibeon, and fought against it. Then the men of Gibeon sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgah, don't abandon your servants. Come quickly and save us. Help us for all the Amorite kings living in the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua and his whole military force, including all the fighting men, came from Gilgah. They had to go and protect the Gibeonites because of the promise they had made. The Lord said to Joshua, and I love this. This is when it starts getting good. Do not be afraid of them. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Don't you be afraid of them, for I have handed them over to you. Not one of them will be able to stand against you. So Joshua caught them by surprise after marching all night from Gilgah. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel. He defeated them in a great slaughter at Gibeon. Nothing says Happy Mother's Day like a great slaughter, right church? Happy Mother's Day with a great slaughter. Chased them through the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them down as far as Ezekiah and Machedah, however you pronounce those. As they fled before Israel, the Lord threw large hailstones on them from the sky along the descent of Beth Horon all the way to Ezekiah, and they died. More of them died from the hail than the Israelites killed with the sword. Now, this is the cool part. One of the greatest miracles in the whole Bible, one of them, one of the greatest. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to the Israelites. Joshua spoke to the Lord in the presence of Israel. Sun stand still over Gibeon and moon over the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still. And the moon stopped. 
until the nation took vengeance on its enemies. Isn't this written in the book of Jashar? So the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed its setting almost a full day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord listened to the voice of a man because the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua and all of Israel with them returned to the camp at Gilgah. Great story. Israel has to go and protect the Gibeonites and all the five kings. They, they, they group together to go kill the Gibeonites. So the Israelites rush in there. And then as they march all through the night, God takes over. He starts rail, raining hail from the sky. I don't know exactly what it was like, but I picture big boulders falling out of the sky. I don't know if they were boulders or not, but I just picture that. And they were falling out of the sky, crushing the armies. And then the leftover bunch that's there, Joshua stands up and he prays to God for the sun to stop. And right in the sky, the sun stops. And they fight that battle. And they win. And they win. Now, you got to remember something. The Israelites were not having a good track record at this point. You get that, right? They had made some pretty serious blunders. They sinned at Jericho. They sinned by, by following the deception of the Gibeonites. They had made some... Tr- some bad mistakes. And what do you see? That even though they made some crummy decisions, God still was God. And God was still there for them. And God was still faithful. A few things I want us to see from this text today is this. God is faithful. So because he's faithful, guess what I do? I believe his promises. I believe his promises. Now notice in verse 8 that the Lord says to Joshua, they show up at the battlefield, and what does the Lord say? He says, be strong. Does that sound familiar? Sound familiar? It's what God told Joshua at the very beginning. Be strong and courageous. That's your memory verse. Be strong and courageous. And he tells Joshua again. It's like, hey, Joshua, you all made a really bad mistake. You know, you all shouldn't be defending the Gibeonites. You should have taken over the Gibeonites. Now their baggage you have to protect. But yet, what does God do? Does God give them a big lecture about now, if you wouldn't have got involved in them Gibeonites, you wouldn't be in this situation? No. What does God do? He just tells them what? Be strong. God is reminding the Israelites that he's still with them, that he's not leaving them, that he's still walking with them. And the promise which was true for many years when, they, when, when God first gave it to Abraham was still true to that day, that they would possess that land and they would create a nation in that land and God would bless the world through that nation. That promise was going nowhere. And God had every intentions of fulfilling his promise, even though the Israelites had made some bad mistakes. Friends, did you know today we have great promises from God? Wonderful promises from the Lord. The best promise that I can think of in the Bible is this, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. 
That's one of the greatest promises in the whole Bible, that if we believe God sent Jesus and he died on the cross and he rose again and he, and he ascended and we give our lives and we trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross for our salvation and we trust in Jesus, the promise is that we are saved and born again, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Great promise of the Bible. And I believe with all my heart, even when we mess up, God is still true to his promise. Well, Kenny, what about, okay, you believe you can give your life to Jesus and God keeps his promise. But what about when we're faithless and we don't keep our side of the bargain and we as Christians make mistakes? Well, friends, let me help you with that today. We are saved by grace, but we are also kept by grace. Very, very important. We did nothing to save ourselves. Would you agree with me on that today, church? We did nothing to save ourselves. The Lord Jesus, through his blood, is who saves us. And likewise, we do nothing to keep ourselves saved. Because it is by grace, not works, that we're saved. Well, Kenny, how does that happen? Don't Christians sometimes veer off the path and make mistakes? Sure they do. Absolutely they do. Anybody want to just go ahead and testify as a Christian? Yeah, I've done that before. Anybody? Yeah. But you got to remember what one of the promises about salvation is. John 10, when Jesus says, you know, anybody that's in my hand, nobody can pluck them out of my hand. You know, listen, when you give your life to Jesus, not a, you think you grab hold of, of God, you think you grab a hold of God, can I just be honest with you? He actually grabs hold of you. And he wraps his arms around you pretty tight. Well, what about the Christian that does backslide? Well, you got to remember something. Not only is the Christian forgiven of their sins by grace through faith, the Christian also has the blessed Holy Spirit living inside of them. And if a believer in Jesus has the Spirit of God living in them and they begin to wander down a path that is not glorifying to God, if they are a genuine believer in Jesus the Holy Spirit of God will let them know about it. And he will direct them. He will steer them the right way. There's no way that a Christian can live in sin and have peace in their life. It ain't gonna happen. Well, Kenny, what about the the guy that professes his faith and there's never any life change? There's never anything. And they just keep on living like the devil. Well, I don't know if they lost their salvation as much as they may never have had salvation, that they were never born again. The Bible teaches that any man that puts his hand to the plow keeps on plowing, doesn't look back. He keeps on moving. There's the idea that as a Christian, you move forward in your walk with God. You are continually producing fruit. You're continually growing. Hey, is anybody glad that that you have grown a little bit as a Christian? Anybody thankful for your growth, that you're not like you were when you... Now, hold on a second. Same people, keep your hands up. Would you keep your hand up to also say, but I still have more growing? All right, but I still have more. So you look around, nobody's got it together, but it's by the grace of God that he pushes us forward. So God's faithful today, even when we mess up as Christians, to keep holding on to us, keep challenging us, and listen, if God starts convicting you of sin in your life, Christian, guess what you need to do? Listen. Listen, because that's the spirit 
moving in you. So we can trust his promises. The promise of salvation is the greatest promise of all. But also, number two, God is faithful. And because he's faithful, I believe he's in control. I believe he's, he's in control. When you look at verse 9 and 11, we've already read it, but you can look back at it. You see the Israelites, they got to go protect the Gibeonites, all right? They don't want to. They don't want to. But they've got to march all the way down and, and fight. Why? Because there's a coalition of five armies that are coming together to attack Gibeon, and they are bound, the Israelites are bound by oath to protect them, to protect them. So they march down, they march all through the night. They are tired. They are exhausted, wore out. How in the world are they going to have to do this for people they don't even like and fight them? And what happens? As they march on down and they do that, God takes control. And as the Lord takes control, the Bible teaches us that large hailstones begin to fall out of the sky. The Israelites just show up, and as a result of showing up, God shows off. And the spirit begins to do what the Israelite army could never do. The rocks begin to fall, and the army is being smashed. And by the way, can I tell you something? These are all different areas that they would have had to capture one by one. They would have had to capture Jerusalem. They would have had to capture the other cities in different campaigns. But you know what? They all work together, and guess what? Now they're all being taken out, not at five different times, but when? One time. Meaning what? The battle got a lot easier for Israel. How else do you explain this, that you mess up, and your mess up turns into a great blessing. That's what you did as a mistake has turned out that God has just blessed that and made something good out of that. I love what Paul says in Romans 8. He says that all things work together for good. And in this particular situation, what happens? Israel is able to conquer all five armies in one setting because of God's goodness. Hey, did Israel do this because of their amazing military campaign? No. They did this because of God's goodness. God was in control. I believe with all my heart that God is a God that's in control of past, present, and future. The Lord is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. He is in control. God is good. Um, You've heard me tell Honduras stories many, many times, and I'm going to tell you one again because I'm just full of them, all right? So in Honduras... The, the driving in Central America is very, very different than driving here. Like, you don't know what a horn is in the United States. Like, you don't know what a horn is. You go to another country that's not the United States, you quickly learn why they put horns on vehicles because it's like a way to drive. It's like a turning signal, a horn is, in another country. It's like a turning signal. Like, you use your horn all the time. And, man, we would be going through these gigantic urban areas with just, like, cars going... And it was just like that. And they'd be going here and there and there and there. And, you know, it was just nuts. It was crazy. You're honking the horn. And we're on this big, like, 1970s school bus driving through these, these streets. But you know what? We survived. You know why? Because we had ourselves an Antonio. Antonio was a master bus driver. He is the man. And we would get on there, 
and old Antonio would cut in and out and everything. And boy, he would take places and back, back a bus up in places that there's no way a bus could have fit in. And Antonio did it. It was like a miracle. It was amazing. Craziest part, though, is when we got up on the mountains. And we'd be going around these curvy roads. And you look down and you see these gigantic valleys. You know, no, no exaggeration, 200-foot drop. You know, I mean, 200 feet down. No, no exaggeration. Just major mountains. And he's pulling that big bus through there, and there's no guardrails. And you just look out the bus and say, dude, I could die right now. That's exactly what you think. But old Antonio, man, even if the one of the wheels, like, you know, just kind of got a little bit off, you are good. You know why? Because you've got yourself an Antonio, man. And he knew how to handle it. Can I tell you something? I can trust God today because he's with me. And he's in control. No matter what we go through in our transitions, God's in control. Isn't that a great promise today? That he is in control. No matter what's going on, he's sovereign, he's big, he's good, he's great. Finally, number three, God is faithful. I believe he hears my prayers. So not only, is he in, not only does he make the great promises that he can save us and keep us, not only do I believe that he's in control of my life, but I also believe he hears my prayers. Now, this is the part that's really, really neat. One of the greatest miracles in the Bible. We read it, but you see in verses 12 through 15, Joshua, you know, the hailstones have miraculously crushed the armies. Just, there's a, they're scattered people that they've got to take out. And Joshua stands up and he prays to the Lord. They've been marching all through the night. They fought. The hail's been coming down. And Joshua stands up and he says, God, we need sunlight. We need more sunlight. Just imagine, all through the night, now all through the day, they've been fighting. Imagine how tired they are. They say, God, we're asking for more sunlight. We need more. And, God, and Joshua stands up. He says, God, let the sun stop. And it does. Never happened in all of human history. And it will never happen again, the Bible says. Somebody might say, well, can you, I, I don't believe that because we know that the earth spins at this rate and this miles per hour, and we know that, and if the earth was to just stop, I mean, scientists, scientists say that if the earth just stopped, that first off, it would be like such a dramatic stop, it, it would fling all of us in outer space, like it would fling all of us into space. On top of that, it would destroy the, the, the tectonic plates. It would just collapse and crumble and the cities would fall into just gigantic pieces. I mean, everything, it'd be mass disaster. And even if the earth began to slowly move, so where it didn't stop, but it, God just slowed it down for a 48 hour to make it longer, that even that kind of disaster would raise the oceans and would just do mass chaos to the earth. There's no way, Kenny, that happened. There's no way. But I told you already that I just believe God's faithful. Amen? Here's where I stand out on issues like this. Would you like to hear? I believe that God brought something out of nothing. Okay? I believe that. All right? So if God is a God that can bring something out of nothing, can I tell you something? It's not that big of a deal to keep us from flying off planet Earth. You've got to understand something. God exists 
above science and nature. Above science and nature. A miracle is anytime God interjects himself into science and nature and alters it. God can't do that. Sure he can. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to. He can stop the earth without it blowing up, without it falling apart, without mass chaos. Hey, by the way, if God is able to stop the earth, that pretty much sums it up. He can do anything, right? He can do anything. Now, listen. The Bible says that he'll never do this again. The earth's not going to stop again. It says that. Never be another day like it. Never will be. Won't happen again. So if you go out there and you start praying for God to make the sun stop, hate to bust your bubble, ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. But here's what I can say. As Joshua prayed to the Lord for a miracle, Jesus told us that we might not be able to pray for the sun to stop, but he told us that a mountain through prayer and faith could be moved into the ocean. So we're supposed to go out here and like tell like, you know, mountains to jump in the ocean? No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the mountains in our lives, isn't he, church? The obstacles that we overcome. And how do we do that? We don't do it our own, but we have faith and we pray that God will remove the obstacle. That God will trust in the Lord to remove that big old mountain on our path and just throw it in the ocean. And we have a God today that we believe can do that. And even when we're in transition and things get murky and we're like, man, Lord, how are we going to get through this? That's when we start praying for mountains to move, for suns to stand still, for moons to stop. It's when we say, Lord, you have saved me, you keep me, you're in control, and now I'm asking you to act on my behalf. And as we pray in the name of Jesus, God can do that. So why, why did Israel get so much special treatment? Why did, why did God stop the sun for Israel? Why? We got to remember what was happening. God was taking his people, putting them into his land for a very specific reason. That people would grow into a great nation, and that nation would one day produce a man. And that man would be all God, all flesh at the same time. And the Bible says that from Israel will come the light of the world, the light of revelation to the Gentiles. And that through that one man, the entire world could be saved. So why was it important to stop the sun for Israel? You ready? Because it was connected to Jesus. It was connected to Christ. Everything in the Old Testament leads straight to the coming of Jesus. Everything does. Every bit of it leads to Jesus. And what I see happening is, is that even though the Israelites were unfaithful, God in his sovereignty and his grace and his goodness still used them to one day bring forth the coming of Jesus. Can I tell you something? Whatever mistake you've made, fault that you find yourself in, God can use that to produce Jesus in you. God can use that so others can find Jesus. No matter what the mistake is or the blunder, the Lord can do it to lead others to Christ and to let Christ shine through you. So I ask you today, are you trusting in your hardship and your failures? That Are you trusting that God can use those to bring good out of it? To bring good out of it. Are you believing that? Some of us today, we need to come and renew our focus to the Lord. 
that we got to believe that all of our mistakes and failures that God can use for his glory and his goodness. Why? Because God is faithful. Father, we thank you for your word and your goodness. Speak to us in this moment. May we trust in you, Lord Jesus. May we know, Lord, even though that we have, Lord, just had so many mistakes and failures, we know, Lord Jesus, that you went to that cross and died for us and rose again so we could be saved. And God, our life now centers around letting Jesus be known. God, take our mistakes and our failures and lead them, Lord, to Jesus. Lead us to Jesus. Father, if there's someone here today that does not know you, how I pray that your spirit would touch them and would